You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Good afternoon, everyone. Following on from our recent launch of our Positioning Cities Inclusive Growth Report, we thought it'd be good to bring together the four heads of real estate from our UK offices to talk in a little bit more detail about some of the key findings of the report and what we see in terms of the, the cities we individually operate in. So I'm really pleased to be joined today by uh, Georgina Savile-James, who leads our real estate team in Exeter, Julian Allen, who leads London the South East, Fiona Thompson, who leads our Birmingham real estate team, and I'm Suzanne Benson, based in Manchester. So over the last 18 months, we've been running a campaign which has been looking at the drivers of prosperity in both the cities and the urban centres we live and operate in. And as part of that, we've brought together 160 individuals to discuss some of the issues we see as pertinent to that theme. And we have conducted two YouGov polls across Manchester, Exeter, Birmingham and London to look at really how real estate can play a role in providing a platform for the society to thrive and grow, particularly as we look forward to returning our workforce. It's entirely true to say that the last 12 months, as a result of the pandemic, the conversations have really focused in on the questions of social value, questions of climate change, and how we really need to understand how the built environment can drive success and prosperity in our cities as we look forward. And so what we really want to do this afternoon was talk about some of the key themes that came out of the feedback, particularly that we got from the the two polls we did, which looked at pre-pandemic and post-pandemic thoughts of people and what they think is important to driving the success in their cities. So the first area that would be good to focus in on is the question of climate change. Over the last year, conversations have increasingly focused on new carbon targets, how the various cities we operate in can reach that aim of zero carbon. And the challenge I think we're all going to face as we start to bring our workforces back in is going to be how we can maintain that, but how we can also encourage people to open up, return to the offices, return to the life to some extent we had before this all started. So coming to you first, Georgina. Extra has been something of a pioneer in this. How are you seeing things developing in the Southwest? Thanks, Suzanne. Yes, Exeter has got a world-class reputation in climate and environmental research and is recognised as a UK pioneer in passive house standards in particular, um, which utilise renewable energies, moving forwards using electric vehicle fleets and looking at large-scale district heating networks. So there's an awful lot going on in Exeter at the moment. I think Exeter was one of the first cities in the UK to declare carbon neutral by 2030. We've recently been joined in that by Bristol as well, who've got the same date, but Exeter was right out there at the front of this, wanting to drive it. It's partly responsible because we've got key businesses sitting in Exeter who drive this international debate. So we've got the Met Office who relocated in 2003, and we've got the University of Exeter who provide fantastic research around climate change. So, So they're both driving the response to climate change every day And I think encouraging people kind of back into the cities at a point where climate change is so key to all of us in the world is going to be a challenge. So Exeter is a small city. It's going to have challenges with, say, electric vehicles. We are surrounded by rural setting. It's fair to say there's probably not going to be sufficient infrastructure in the city centre 
or in the outskirts around it to really deal with this. Um, Exeter, as I say, small, it's easy to move around right in the city centre. But if you look at kind of connecting other parts of the southwest with Exeter, that's where the challenge is going to be. I was pleased to see in the YouGov poll that Exeter did stay the highest of the cities in respect of statements around being environmentally sustainable. And I think part of that is because of the messaging that City Council brings out and does reinforce in a very timely fashion. So we've got um, a strong council lead on sustainability and climate change. We've got a strong programme called Livable Exeter, which is all about live well, live well, be healthy, embrace the city's vision for kind of healthy living, sustainable living and growth. We're developing an extra a, a world first, UK first rather, um, a leisure centre built to passive house standards and also affordable housing on the same principle. So, so we're there driving it, but I think it's not without its challenges. As I say, it's a small city. It's going to be hard to get people in the southwest to relinquish cars because you know, we'll come on to talk about connectivity later. But I think you know, moving around a city centre without the luxury of good infrastructure and moving out to those areas that link Exeter is going to be hard without having electric kind of points to say something. From a Birmingham point of view, I'd endorse what you're saying. We've got slightly different challenges. The report made it very clear that uh, climate change and the green agenda has gone way, way, way up the pecking order in terms of what people think is important. And uh, local government is really stressing that. We don't have quite such an ambitious target for carbon neutral year 2041, but then we've got a very different dynamic, a very different environment you know we're very much more a manufacturing uh, center so uh, it's a greater challenge so 2041 is probably more realistic the the council has also recently announced that we're going to be having a, a clean air zone that comes into force on the 1st of june which really is all about discouraging people from driving into the city center now that's fantastic it's audible it's, it's exactly what we want the problem we've got is in the short term with the end of the pandemic we know that people are being quite reluctant to go onto public transport. At the moment, public transport is more limited. We hope that that ramps up again in the near future. But we've got this uh, push and pull at the moment, haven't we, between the fact that we want to get people back to work, we want to get back into the city centre and get them thriving, but actually people's confidence in, in physically getting there, the commute into the city centre, is much more challenging. And if we're being dissuaded from going in in cars, great let's use public transport but we need that public transport to be there now there's an awful lot going on in that arena in and around Birmingham with the tram and such like but you know we've got that short-term problem and we need to plug that gap to make sure that people don't get so used to not coming into the city that they just find a way of, of, of not coming back that would not be good for, for any of our cities but certainly not for Birmingham or the region. Thanks both and having spent a couple of hours today on a, a workshop looking at the the climate change question for Manchester I think a real key theme is that how we support people as things start to open up and how we recognize the different sectors that are going to and the challenges they're going to face and I think that probably brings us quite neatly onto the next key issue that came out of the report which was um, in some respects slightly surprising emphasis on the importance of things like arts and culture and I think coming a lot you know sitting alongside that are the hospitality the leisure the leisure sectors the areas that have had a really really hard time for the last 12 months but I think what was very clear from the feedback we got from the survey are areas that have become increasingly important to people as they recognise the importance of, of gathering of coming together as a community. Julian from your perspective how do you see that sort of moving forward? 
I think if we could, if we don't mind, we separate up arts and culture from hospitality and leisure for a moment. I think they all belong to one clear sort of important umbrella um, about the desirability um, and prosperity, and both of them have had a hard time. But the big difference, I think, with with arts and culture is is a, a recognition, a national recognition of arts and culture as being a massive contributing factor to prosperity. So this applies nationwide as well as London, but London historically has been a big driver for that area and, and, and has attracted a lot of people from those sectors. And the difficulty with this is that whilst the appetite for arts and culture has exploded, arts and culture is in a period of unprecedented crisis. And whilst the government have recognised that and have set aside certain levels of funding, the government's approach, I think, has missed two key problems that arts and culture faces. And London it faces it greater in a greater amount because the arts and culture are greater there and a greater part of the income. The first problem is that most artists, musicians and actors are freelancers and there hasn't been enough support for freelance. And the second problem is Brexit has harmed uh, the freedom of movement of both actors and musicians and, and atomized their capacity to earn income. So while on the one hand we have theatres which are dark now and potentially threatened with closure, some being government funded, others not. We also have a sudden recognition that British people and London Londoners are realising what they were missing. So there is an enormous challenge. A lot of organisations in, in those sectors are going to go bust and already are on their way to going bust. Uh, so I think we're going to see a, a, real, a real scorched earth situation before we start to build back because there is a huge demand. And what I think we'll see is an explosion, on, and we'll come on to this um, a little later, of local arts and local culture. Arts centres, multi-purpose buildings, buildings that bring local art and culture, theatre and music in particular, but cinema as well, to the boroughs, the London boroughs, the outsides, the suburbs. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of that as the demand stays high. Just very briefly on leisure and hospitality, the very strong fact, contributing factor to, to, to that is, is, is whether or not London remains the workplace it used to be. Because in terms of work and play, I can see a stronger future for play in London uh, than I could before. Uh, whereas work is, there are challenges ahead and we'll touch on them. I don't want to go too quickly into workplaces and offices now. But I think leisure and hospitality and tourism will drive the renaissance in London. Thank you, Julian. And, and I think they're all factors we see re reflected to a greater or lesser extent around all of the four cities. I know certainly in the Manchester context, arts and culture has been used as something that puts us on the international stage. The Manchester International Festival has grown in popularity and importance for us as a city. And the challenge really with these types of events is sustaining them, is sustaining the financing, the people who work in it, the, the ability to bring it back. But I think it was very encouraged, certainly encouraging that people in responding to the questions we asked see that as such an important factor in moving forward. And I think it is perhaps counter to some of the narratives we've heard about people no longer being interested in coming back to cities, no longer wanting to, uh, to congregate. I think that is, of all of the things that came out of the report, a really encouraging response. And I think I'm probably looking in a little bit more detail at the real estate side of this, because this is what you're here to talk about. So part of our research focused on how buildings contribute to prosperity looking forward. And there's been a lot of conversations in recent months about how we use our buildings and how we might use our buildings going forward, whether that's the office sector, the retail sector, or change residential use. Fiona, from your perspective, 
how do you how do you see that moving forward I think there's the two sides to this we've got the the way people live and the way people work and how those interrelate is changing I mean if you take how people live to start with Birmingham in particular and the and the, the the wider region the black country has always relied on the fact that it's got a really low cost base for a living environment always a really good quality of, of, of offering in the cities in terms of culture and, and, and work but you know we have the smallest living environments individually in Europe you know we don't occupy a lot of space as individuals and we've learned in lockdown that we all would like a little bit more space and that's within our living environments and outside them so you know a city like Birmingham has got to rethink you know we we sell ourselves on the fact that it's a low cost basis we now need to start thinking about how we provide more space for people to live and work and then when you take that into the work environment the the thing we, we actually hosted an event in October where we consulted with a lot of professionals and local people and the thing that came out most of all about how they want to use the cities is you know, we have all these wonderful office buildings, we have all these fantastic spaces, but a lot of people, a lot of society feels excluded from them. And they want to feel that they are included and they are welcome. And we need to make sure that wider society feels welcome in its cities by looking at the way we create our spaces and how they work together. Now, some of that we've, we've talked about repurposing of spaces, but it's actually looking at how we develop going forward to make sure that people don't feel that there's all these professionals in their ivory towers and nobody else is, is, is allowed anywhere near them. So I think there's a big challenge for developers and, and, and planners and, uh, and local authorities to look at how they make those places much more attractive and much more generally usable. Great to hear you say, say that, Fiona. I think London might have quite a lot to offer um, in this regard because uh, that I, this idea of sharing space with the public has become a fairly key part of, of London politics in real estate terms. At one level, you know, if you build something like the Shard, there needs to be public realm actually within the building, halfway up. Uh, the spaces outside of large buildings in London are more and more communal spaces. Uh, we're seeing a lot of congregation, we're seeing a lot of arts and culture again in those spaces, in the city of London as well as everywhere else. And at Canary Wharf, it was particularly strong in, in, these, in these areas because they needed to to create life in these places. And what I think we have seen during lockdown and will see more of is an idea of sharing space. This idea of having a lease of whole and being entirely in charge of one's building. I think we're gonna be seeing a lot more opening up of space. We're gonna see a lot more truncating and uh, people taking less space, uh, more tenants in one building uh, as the question marks start to, get, um, start to come about the number of people that need to be in work on any one day. So the numbers change. So in fact, somebody who's got five floors might say, well, actually I could do two floors in another building and leave that five floors vacant uh, or sublet or whatever. So I've actually personally been acting for charitable organizations who want to use empty space. And landlords are saying, of course, of course you can use the empty space. It actually doesn't take a huge leap of the imagination to allow a sort of light, non-invasive use of, of certain spaces within one's building for charitable organisations or educational organisations. I think we're going to be seeing an awful lot more of that. That's going to be part of the framework. I agree. Can I just pick up on something as well on that? Because I think Exeter is a kind of smaller city than the ones that you know, we're also looking at has got something to offer there because the, you know, as I said previously, it's a small enough city to walk around. You know, it's relatively easy to walk or to cycle around it. So actually 
what I think we've done very well and what I think came out in the report about people's kind of, uh, I suppose, approach to green spaces, it is on our doorstep. The links between our city centre and the quay are very, very close. We've got, you know, it's within walking distance. You can create links to bring, you know, the city centre to be linked to the quay, to be linked to the cathedral, to be linked to green space, to be linked to cathedrals. So it's, I think it's also about kind of creating those easy access points to get from one place to the other. And because we're small, we've got the ability to do that very easily. And I think that stood us in good stead in terms of the, what's come out of this report and people's approach to understanding what space they've got outside of their home and kind of office space if you like here i absolutely agree in the in the manchester context i think it was interesting in terms of the the response to the survey there was less focus in the second survey on both space inside houses and outside houses which was again contrary to the conversation that we'd heard so much about about how people were increasingly focused on it because of the the amount of work from, working from home that was going on but i think one of the discussions that is going to be continuing as things start to open up again because it's probably currently quite hidden is going to be those those big iconic retail buildings we have the um the kendall's building in manchester which is currently under consideration for how it's going to be repurposed there's going to be a significant number of large retail buildings that we are going to need to do something with as communities to ensure that they don't take us backwards in terms of the development of how our cities work i think we've touched a couple of times on the question of connectivity and transport and how important that that is, it's perhaps been slightly less important to all of us as we've all been rarely leaving our houses for the last few months. But as we look forward and we look at addressing things like the climate change challenge, the, the question of getting people back into work in whatever shape and form that looks, that issue is going to come to the fore again about the question of where people choose to live and where they perhaps choose to work and how that, that might change going forward. You've talked a bit, Georgia, about how Exeter is a smaller, more accessible city than perhaps some of the others. Do you think you'll see much change as things start to open up again? I think undoubtedly we will. I mean, I, I think there are some pluses here as well. So if I can kind of bring in, we touched on earlier, kind of tourism. Exeter and the Southwest are massive draws for people currently wanting to relocate and also for people coming on holiday. We have a massive challenge ahead of us on our infrastructure and this also feeds into getting people into our cities back to work bringing them in for leisure arts hospitality whatever it is so so our infrastructure is and has been a challenge for a while but I think it will become more of a challenge moving forward because of the relocation opportunities that people are now exploring in order for us to be better connected you know and we've been saying as a city for a while we need more investment in the railways. Yeah, it's a, the railways serve a vital artery to our communities, to our businesses, um, to growth of the region. Um, and in order to connect to the rest of the UK, there has to be free flow between Exeter, the other cities that we're, we're representing here, um, Birmingham, Manchester, London, and you know further into the southwest. An example of how disconnected we can become is. You know, a few years ago, the the floods at um, or the landslide rather at Dawlish, where the main line got cut off, and we had communities and businesses completely cut off from being able to connect into the region. So it's a massive issue. And the other example I wanted to give was the collapse of Flyby 
this time last year. Flybe is a massive business, was a massive business in Exeter. And of course, as a regional airline, connected us with the rest of the UK and the rest of the world. So, you know, quick flights to each of the cities kind of represented here. So for us, I think connectivity has always been an issue and a challenge and that is going to be more of a challenge moving forward with the positive influx of people coming to the southwest because it brings growth it brings business it brings talent but it also brings pressure to all of those roads railways you know that network so bringing people back into our cities we're going to have to address that problem i think and that challenge from my perspective, I think connectivity is less of an issue in Birmingham. I think there's a lot of progress that's been made already, as I've talked about already. The tram system has been in place for some time. It's continuing to develop. There are new routes uh, being installed at the moment. It gives really good local connectivity. But of course, our physical location in the Midlands and the motorway network, HS2 with a new hub that's going to be sort of Birmingham Solihull based, it gives us lots of positivity. And I think one of the lovely things that came out of this report is that although Birmingham does have its challenges and, you know, we have suffered more in job losses through the pandemic than some of the other regions that we're talking about today. Actually, the level of positivity in Birmingham for the future and job creativity and, 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 and employment is higher than any of the other cities. And I think a big part of that is due to our connectivity. And if you look at things like our industry and logistics, the Midlands is a great hub for that. We're seeing that there's an awful lot of development in the, in the logistics sector. You know, we've got Amazon, new centres for Amazon, but other logistics companies, the manufacturing and uh, automotive sectors have started to, to really bolster and take up new space in the region. And I think people look at that and think, you know, we're well connected, we're in the right place. There's every reason to be positive and it's, it's a delight to see. Thanks for that. And I think, Julian, perhaps from your perspective, London clearly has very strong transport links. Yeah. But the connectivity question all, also leads into the that question of that disparity between pe- where people live and where people work, which I think is a challenge in all of the cities, but is a, a very sharp yeah. challenge in terms of London. H- how do you see that moving forward? Don't, let's not beat about the bush. London is a planning nightmare um, and has <laughs> has, a, has a lot of work to do and, and, is, and is doing a lot of work. The mayor is trying hard, the local... Boroughs are trying hard. A lot of great things have happened actually since mayoral elections started and overground networks have been built. I think the name of the game now with London is that we may be seeing London become a more of a polycentric uh, city as it as it always was to start with than uh, over the last hundred years where it had essentially the West End of the city of London where the drivers of all the economics and, um, uh, and cultural and, and the personality of the city. What we might see a lot more now because of all the various challenges and because of what we've learned during lockdown, is the polycenters, both within the centre and outside. So we're seeing the different larger transport links like Crossrail, like the various overground networks. The fact that people might want to stay closer to home, uh, might want to work closer to home, what we're going to see, we're going to to need is connectivity between polycenters. In other words, boroughs that were themselves not really properly connected at all. And a lot of these boroughs have actually grown since 2012, for example, if you think of the East End of London, enormous strides have been made in improving those areas. Developments have been brought forward. And as Crossrail comes, uh, bears fruit, you're going to see places like Hayes and Middlesex, you know, growing. And so we're going to see a very different different landscape. What, what remains in the middle is very, very interesting. And that might be one for another podcast. But I certainly think connectivity between polycenters, between boroughs, 
is, is something that is going to need to take a little bit more of a front seat. Agreed. I think one of my favourite descriptions of London is a, a city of villages, which is in some ways very large villages, I'd say, for the London boroughs. But similarly, Manchester gets described as a city of towns. Yeah. And we have a similar, if smaller scale issue in that um, Manchester has come in for a lot of criticism over the last 12 months um, and before then about lack of affordability in the city centre, lack of new provision, which the local leadership are focusing on, but it will be in a similar, albeit slightly smaller way in London, a similar challenge to look at where you focus your investment. Does it continue to focus in those those town centres surrounding Manchester or within the city centre, which has been a focus for the international stage? Is it fair to say, though, Suzanne, that the centre of Manchester, if you think about where Manchester's come in the last 30 years, the centre has been a really big driver for that kind mm. of renaissance. Uh, so it would be strange to, to see that being abandoned, albeit we I know we've seen a lot of BBC have gone to Salford and that Salford has become a place we talk about. But is it is the centre is now riding high, isn't it? I think that's deliberately been a focus for GM and Manchester Council in order to stimulate regeneration of Manchester as a whole, to bring people into the city. And it's been a very, very successful strategy for mm. a long period. It has got to the point where it's reached a tipping point where people have wanted more focus on um, affordability. But I think that's just a natural evolution of, of where it's got to. And I know from sitting on the Manchester Forum board that I sit on, the current conversation is very much focused on bringing people back into the city, how you can bring back to life those city events um, that just haven't been happening. Because alongside London, London and Manchester, I think particularly, have probably had quite a city centre over the last 12 months and perhaps some of the other cities in the UK, and Manchester particularly, because we've had such extended periods of lockdown. I think that was a lot of the themes I wanted to cover, but to bring it to a close... One of the things we've been talking about is looking at the four cities we work in and really that question of what we can all learn from each other because a lot of surprising facts came out of the research and a lot of really interesting conclusions. So I'm going to put you all on the spot. (laughs) So starting with Fiona, I think. What do you think Birmingham has to learn from the others? I think Birmingham's been ploughing its own furrow for a long time and it's had its challenges in the past because there have been a lot of misconceptions about what Birmingham has to offer. I listened to you all talk about fantastic tourism and connectivity and opportunities and Birmingham's got all of that in space. What we've got to learn from the other cities is um, perhaps some focus. I think we do have a challenge around the fact that we have three large cities within our region, all of whom fight for space. So you've got Coventry City of Culture, you've got Wolverhampton, you know, firmly there in terms of industry. And then you've got Birmingham, which is always paraded as being the, the big city of the region. And I think we need to find ways, perhaps like Manchester is doing, and to some degree London, of pulling that together into a, a more central story that doesn't then offend those that are outside of that, that central hub. But I think Birmingham's got a lot to be positive about, and that's been very clear from the report. So long may that continue. Thank you. Uh, Julia? Uh, Well, briefly, I I think London has seen itself, especially in the last 10, 20 years, as competing, if you like, or looking over its shoulder at New York, Paris, Tokyo, etc. One thing I think London can learn from all of the other cities being discussed is how to hit targets. We're going to be put under more pressure as Birmingham, Manchester, next to come up with initiatives for clean air, especially to do with climate change, and they hit their targets a lot earlier than us. Essentially, we're going to be seen as lagging behind unless we work harder and push harder at these targets um, and progress and make this progress. The reality is 
London is competing with the rest of the country for jobs. Uh, it offers an awful lot of jobs. But if it's not an attractive place to come and work anymore, and if if companies decide that we don't need to localize workers in the same way as we used to, then it's going to have a struggle on its hands. So it's the freshness of the ideas that we see coming out of Birmingham, Manchester, unburdened by the baggage that London has had over the years and the hitting of targets, uh, the, you know, the pressure that comes on. I think that'll be the biggest influence. Thank you. Go on, Georgina. I think the Southwest, I mean, it is slightly unique because of where we're placed in the country and because of the vast rural communities that we have around us. So it is, I think, slightly different. But I think what we can learn, and I was really interested, Julian, when you were talking about kind of the, you know, poly centres and about how we link things together. And I think one thing that we have got to figure out is this connection between, you know, our cities, our towns, our rural communities and linking them much better. So I think there is some value and, and some work to do there. I think the other thing that we can also learn, Fiona, I was interested because obviously you talk about Birmingham as a manufacturing kind of hub and, you know, you're known for that. I think the Southwest has struggled a bit in its branding. And I think we need to be better about how we brand ourselves. We've been seen as a kind of tourist destination and that's served us very well. And pre-pandemic, we were keen to kind of move away from just being seen as a tourist destination and having a kind of brand that allowed people to want to come to us. And I think that needs to be focused on. So I think we can learn from you know, Manchester, Birmingham, London, about how you've developed that brand to bring people in that it is more than more than tourism. Thank you. Well, I took a bit of a risk and left myself to the last. Um, but I think in the Manchester context, I think possibly we have something to learn from that positivity that's coming out of the um, the Birmingham responses. I think the Manchester responses are survey, particularly the second time around, were particularly muted. And I think that's probably largely a consequence of the the amount of time the city has spent in lockdown and some of the, the issues that have come up over the last year. But I think Manchester has always relied on a really strong local leadership. And I think one of the real positives in Greater Manchester is that clear evidence of the councils, the mayor, the various political leaders working together and pulling together in the same direction. And I think some of that has slightly been lost over last year, but that is something that I think will take us forward in terms of how we drive prosperity. And I think that's the bit if we focus on that perhaps a bit more, we might get a bit more of the uh, <laughs> that overwhelming positivity that came through from Birmingham. So, yeah, we need to smile more in the north. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. I think that was really useful. I think we've covered an awful lot of different issues there. We probably could have talked about every one of them in a lot more detail. But thank you for your time. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.